Hello and welcome to Women's Biz Podcast. I'm Annie Gibbons, founder and CEO of Women's Biz Global. And I invite you to get comfortable and listen in on candid conversations I have with fascinating women from around the globe. Business leaders, entrepreneurs, humanitarians, athletes, and a whole lot of regular people. Tune in as they let their guard down and open up on aspects of their business and life journey, how they measure success, and what they have learned along the way. These conversations aim to inspire you to embrace opportunities and possibilities beyond the limits of your imagination. Reclaim your power, strength, and vulnerability. Stand in your truth and propel yourself towards the life you dream to live. Hello and welcome to Women's Biz Podcast, everybody. Annie Gibbons here and I'm super excited to have you joining us today. I want you to start getting ready because we're going to embark on a journey into the world of workplace flourishing. What a great topic and women empowering in those flourishing workshops, uh, workplaces with Robin Lister-Johnson. She is our guest today. Welcome to the program, Robin. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Absolutely thrilled. I'm so excited to have you on the program today. For our listeners, Robin is an international best-selling author, a keynote speaker, a well-being advisor, a fraud protection prevention expert. Oh my goodness, what a great skill to have there. I can't wait to dive into that one. She's a beacon in creating humane, ethical and resilient organisations. And shouldn't we just expect that they would be, but they're not. So we need people like Robin who can actually make that happen. She's got profound expertise in organisational behaviour, applied positive psychology. She has seriously single-handedly empowered countless individuals and organisations to thrive in this way, we're going to uncover some unique insights that she has learned along her journey, some um, about transformative workshops that she has for women uh, to really foster change that lasts. So welcome to the program once again, Robin. We are going to have such a wonderful program and I'm looking forward to, first of all, talking about juggling the multiple roles and responsibilities we all have, right? So we're all juggling like a ridiculous amount of hats. <laughs> and you will be working with people who are not only in these workplaces that you're wanting to transform, but people come to work as these humans who are all doing different things. Do you have some strategies or approaches that you employ to assure, ensure that they have, um, yeah, just an ability to be able to get their focus on their well-being and their self-care while they're trying to work and advance their careers? Yes, I do wear lots of hats. And I think most women wear lots and lots of hats. We wear lots of yeah. hats at work. We wear lots of hats at home. We wear lots of hats in the community. And I would say that lately I've been really trying to focus on what is most important right now, you know, what mm. needs to be done right now. I also learned that I'm the kind of person that I need hard deadlines. And so I try to create hard deadlines for myself. Uh, like scheduling this podcast right away, you know, as opposed to waiting for a month, just schedule it right away. And that helps um, me then focus my time. I also really believe in in engaging in, in, in important things for my own self-care. For example, mm -hmm. getting enough sleep. Uh, maybe there might be a night here and there that you have to, you know, pull an all-nighter or, you know, stay up late. 
but I don't do that multiple nights in a row anymore, like I might have done in college. And so listening to your body, listening to when do I need to stop and take a rest, even just take a little quick nap. Uh, the other thing I find is I've heard this wonderful phrase, the healing power of lists. And so I keep little, little sticky memo pads in my car and in uh, everywhere around. And a little idea pops in. Oh, I should do that. I should do that. And I'm just writing these little things down. Then I compile a stick ball together. I did this one. You know, take it, throw it away. And so, just focusing on on what needs to be done now and looking ahead to the future. And, mm. and well, which takes that ability to reflect on yourself, take time out to actually work out one to make those lists, and two to just be constantly reassessing what is most important. I love the way you focused on that because that priority can change, right? And so we make these dreamy lists sometimes. Sometimes we get all um, we get the people who don't don't do a list and hope it happens and. For those people, you really need to reach out to one of us because your life will change once you start making lists. But often you write them in this, you know, view of, oh, yeah, that'll be right and it'll be right forevermore. But then, you know, that's right. Circumstances change. We're so, we've got to be so fluid with that, don't we? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, being flexible. The other thing, too, is being flexible and being pleasantly flexible. And mm. about six or seven years ago, I just had some experiences that um, I, I had this little schedule all laid out. It got totally topsy-turvy. And I was like, okay, you know, I can change this. Oh, yeah, someone, I can change this. Oh, yeah, you know, if someone can't do something, I, I can change it to a better time. And um, and how it turned out is it, like throwing, <laughs> throwing a bunch of pieces of a puzzle up in the air and then they all just landed in the in the in a reverse order, but the perfect order for what had come up that I needed to change and be adapted to. And mm. in that moment, I just had this epiphany. And I just said, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about schedules anymore. I will mm. make them. I'll be responsible and get things lined up the way I, you know, being responsible. But when they all get completely, <laughs> I'm just not going to stress about it. I just mm. will say, okay, you know, I'm going to stay calm, stay flexible, stay creative, and I just trust that things are going to work out. And mm. that has eliminated most of the, the stress in my life. And once mm. again, I'm being responsible, but when things get all topsy-turvy, uh, I don't freak out and get all anxious and stiff and angry and um, frumpy-faced. I just say, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to, mm. I don't know how, but it'll work out. So. I love that. I love that. I always approach things in two different ways. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So one, I'm incredibly strategic. I'm the person with the year planner, the six month, three months, monthly to the week and all that sort of stuff. So I'm a lover of strategy and planning. Then I also have this other side that I then go, considering all of that, I want to have five priorities and I never go more than five because I can only cope with five things. <laughs> so I've got my five priorities and I then triage them. What are the most, you know, one to, one to five? And then something might change because I do run many, you know, multiple hats. I'm a nana. I'm a mom. I, I'm a business owner of a couple of businesses. You know, I 
do other things to help people. Um, and so I've got all this happening. And then something suddenly will change or move. And I've, I've got to every week, I think, I feel that I have to then go, are my priorities one to five still in the same space? And if something huge comes in, like I just shared before we came on line, everybody that I just bought a house this week. Oh my goodness, so exciting. But when that happens, that's going to be a massive thing, you know, in the next few months. I then have to think, does that priority need to be one of my five? I'm assuming yes, and it's going to rate quite high. But then I then go, oh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Robert. Do I then have six on my list or do I actually have to make that big, bold decision and go one of those other things is just going to have to go on to, off the radar for a while so that I don't lose my balance, right? Because it's a fine line um, on staying, staying balanced, not wearing yourself out. Um, so would you in that circumstance go for six on the list and just burn yourself a bit or would you go, you're going to have to let something go? Well, you know, I would probably, you know, with me, I'd probably just have a list of six. However, but with the caveat that let good enough be good enough mm. and that on some of the things, you know, being okay is good enough. For yeah. example, this is a today is a perfect example. So, in my faith tradition, um, it's a lay church. Everyone just volunteers. No one gets paid, and so we take turns cleaning the building. And so, is my week this week to have my little team come and help clean the church? Well, uh, after one thing or another, and really just a few people could come. So I kind of set out, hey, can more people just show up if you can? And so I decided, you know what, uh, with whoever shows up, we're just going to do the minimum of what is most important. Like instead mm. of washing the, the, you know, there's glass doors that come into the building. Instead of washing the, the entire building, we're just going to do the ones in front and just say yeah. it's good enough. And, and um, we're not going to, I'm going to look in a room and if there's some stuff on the floor, I'll pick it up and put it in my pocket. And if that's good enough and it looks clean, that's good enough. If it's really yeah. messy, then we'll vacuum it. But so again, we we maybe need to keep keep our priorities, keep the things that are important. Mm -hmm. But on some of them, we say let good enough be good enough, and yeah. and we don't stress about it. Yeah, I think it's just having an awareness ahead of the time and going, okay, this is going to really push things. I can't do it all I'm at the risk of burning out. I am going to have to make those decisions. I either have to take it off the list, whatever it is, for a while. I have to delegate it, and I'd love to talk to you about that. You know, how do you discern and um, what to distinguish falls under your responsibility and what doesn't, you know, whether it's in your business development, your your teaching, your well-being, the, the other responsibilities that you have. You know, do you have to do it all is the question. Yeah. You know, that's a very, very good point. And that's something I've had to learn over time. You know, what is my responsibility? What isn't my responsibility? And for me personally, that has more falling into the realm of um, uh, trying to manage other people's lives. And I've learned that how other people choose to live their life is not my responsibility. I can try to gently influence, uh, but ultimately people are human beings, people are adults. And how they're going to choose to live their life is how they're going to choose to live, live their life. 
And what I need to focus on is what do I have control over? What am I responsible for? And there's just a lot more. There's a lot. There, there are enough things that I am truly responsible for that I don't need to be sticking my nose into someone's business and saying, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you, why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing that? And so just that ability to, to give other people some grace and not have to make people do things the way I think they should do them mm. as, long as, as long as it's getting done. So a lot of that responsibility, that, that notion of what am I responsible for? What am I not responsible for? And yeah. then focusing on that. That doesn't mean I'm not going to try to be helpful, appropriately helpful. Um, but there's a difference between being helpful and, and um, kind of sticking my nose into someone's business and trying to take <laughs> over. It's a learning curve for all of us, particularly us bossy women, like to with these natural tendencies that we just prefer to do it ourselves if we're really honest. Uh, but that is actually limiting, uh, one, the opportunity for other people to contribute, to go on their journey, but also for us to value that things can be done in a slightly different way. They still kind of be done completely fine. Um, and that's a good thing. Oh my goodness. It is a good thing. And that's been a huge learning curve for me because I've kind of preferred to do it all. Uh, but it's it's not going to um, work out well when I do that. As and particularly as your business and your life grows, you have to actually be able to delegate more. And um, and now I'm at the opposite end that I want to be spending 80% of my time in my top 20%, you know, like so um, and so with that means you have to actually delegate and to be able to bring people other on, you know on your journey and that is a good thing so can you delve a little bit more about the into the practical nuts and bolts of how you approach the development of a business you're expert in that so you how do you draw on your expertise to very diverse domains um like fraud protection right like teaching like well-being advisory you know businesses are just so different so how do you um approach that turning their visions into a reality yeah exactly well in full transparency on the fraud prevention i actually work for a company called safe checks we specialize in check fraud prevention and in full transparency i work for my brother and so he uh, i work for his company and i help do many many different things and i am the primary editor of frank abagnale's fraud bulletin frank abagnale of catch me if you can fame and uh, the fraud bulletin is used by the FBI, the Federal Reserve, and hundreds of companies across the country. And <clears throat> so that is one domain. And I'm, I'm very passionate about that because fraud prevention obviously is very important. And check fraud, even though a lot of companies have used fewer checks than they did before, still hundreds and hundreds of thousands of companies and individuals use checks. And so preventing that fraud is really important. The other domain that I feel really passionate about, and I think in the nuts and bolts, is deciding what do you, first of all, you have to decide what do you feel really strongly about, strongly enough to want to dive into it. And for me, I'm absolutely passionate about helping organizations create workplaces where people want to stay instead of wanting to leave. You know, creating organizations that are humane, that are ethical, that are resilient. And one of my very favorite, um, one of my very favorite scenes is in uh, the the movie A Christmas Carol. This came out in 1984. George C. Scott was playing the role of Scrooge, and <clears throat> Marley's ghost comes into the room, and Scrooge is kind of you know cowering, 
<clears throat> and um, Marley's talking about, you know, these chains that he's wearing. And Scrooge says, well, you, you always were a good man of business. <laughs> and Marley just roars in response. Business, business, mankind was my business. Benevolence, benevolence, charity, forbearance. These were my business. The common welfare was my business. He ends by saying, the dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the mm -hmm. complex ocean of my business. And, mm -hmm. and we say that is, that is um, corporate America or, or corporate, I guess, corporations anywhere. Is are we looking at the human side of business and COVID did a number on, you know, on corporations and we discovered, yes, the human side of business makes a profound impact on the bottom line. And so being passionate about, you know, helping organizations, again, create workplaces where we want to stay instead of wanting to leave. And there's very specific strategies and very specific ways that, and simple ways <clears throat> that you can make your workplaces you know, be more humane, ethical, and resilient, as I like to phrase it. Mm. So when you go into those workplaces and you uh, start tapping in, a lot of this is workplace culture. Is that person feeling valued? Do, does anyone even really know? Do that? What you know? What is one aspect of their life? Not that we have to get all touchy feely and totally personal, but you know, how many kids do you have? Are you into pets? Where do you holiday? Just the what I call the the office banter that it's a friendly place, or that your work is valued, that you get recognised. There's so many different things, and I agree with you, uh, Robin, that during COVID, when many of us, well, all of us, most around the world, um, suddenly worked at home, we suddenly appreciated the things that we valued more, the flexibility, um, being being able to demonstrate clearly, I think, because things were sent in more electronically and so forth, what, we, what we'd actually achieved and things were monitored a little bit more. Uh, it really did change um, our own view of ourself and our values, but definitely in a corporate perspective. So when you go into those those uh, businesses and you start talking about how to make them more ethical and, and humane and so what are the biggest surprises that the the management find from from your conversations with them well I <clears throat> sorry the biggest surprise is learning how much um, it makes a difference to the bottom line you know mm. that, that there, are, there are I have countless examples of not just bad situations, but disastrous situations that by applying, you know, principles of what we call positive organizational scholarship and asking aspirational questions as opposed to simply problem solving questions, mm. it, it made a profound impact on the bottom line. And so um, for this is one of, one of my absolute favorite examples is uh, an organization where they had people working in different, uh, working remotely, both uh, in person and working remotely in different countries, different time zones. And so there was this contention and this tension between this. And so they were asking the question, you know, how can we, how can we reduce so much contention and tension between our various departments? <clears throat> well, instead, they flipped it, the question on its head and they began asking what I call an aspirational question. And they changed the question to be, 
how can we create service without boundaries? Mm. And within one year, they had over 300 suggestions from all of their employees on ways that they could create service without boundaries. Another mm. great example was um, an organization where they had a 50% turnover in their middle management. I mean, that is terribly disruptive. terribly disruptive. It's expensive on multiple levels, terribly disruptive. Yeah. And so they're looking at, okay, how can we keep people, how can we keep people from quitting? Okay, they flip the question on his head. How can we create a magnetic work environment? So you see, they began, they began look, they began looking at the solution as opposed yeah. to just as a problem. So that's just yeah. a, really yeah. a tiny little snippet of what I love to do in working with organizations. Mm, I love that. Instead of a problem, how do we stop them quitting? Are you actually going, you know, not even how do we get them to stay, create an environment that they would want to stay. It's very Richard Branson, you know, just love them so much that, you know, that you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want to leave. It's the best, you know, those people who go, oh my gosh, where I work is the best place ever, you know. So, and there's so many aspects. It's often not the job. You know, the job has to be stimulating, rewarding and all that sort of thing, but it also has to be, you know, the whole environment, the team, the mm -hmm. culture, it's fun. It's got to have a fun element. I, as a CEO, I'm all into um, having a fun element because you spend so much time there. You're wanting to actually, you know, when something suddenly comes up and you have that last minute emergency, which every business will have, they're the people who go, oh, I'm happy to stay back. I'm happy to do that extra work for you because it's a pleasure because they feel valued by that company. Company. They're actually not just by the company. They actually are usually um, excited that they want they want that campaign to be the best ever. They want that deal to go through because they've been part of that journey. So you really are an integral cog in the wheel for that whole operation to sort of progress. So totally agree with you, Robin. You, you, it is so good for the bottom line. It's like, how could you not do this? I'd love to ask you another question then about the whole aspect of self-care and wellness, because a lot of the corporates have obviously over the last few years, they put a lot of that into that office space. They've got table tennis tables, they've got prayer rooms, they've got, um, you know, good food available. They've, um, you know, they, they give you mental health days, all this sort of thing. Do you think this is the responsibility of a you know, a future work environment, or do you actually think it's more about individuals to actually go? You know what? You you need to look after your own self care. It's a personal thing, or is it a combination of both? I'm assuming. Uh, I would say it's a combination of both. I think that for organizations, are they doing these things just to check off the box? Or are they doing them because they really feel that this is something important? And if they're simply checking off the box, I think the employees will be able to detect that, probably because they, they won't have asked the employees, what is it that you care about and what would be meaningful to you? Uh, in one of the studies, this is done by, I believe it was done by Deloitte, but they... <laughs> The upper manager, the C-suite, they, 91% of them, thought that the middle and lower people believed that they really cared about their well-being. <laughs> well, the middle, <laughs> only about 50% of the middle, 56% of the middle and lower people 
believed that the C-suite cared about their well-being. Massive disconnect. And so we might think that I'm really caring, but have you really conversed with them? What is it that's really meaningful to them? So if you're if you're doing the well-being stuff, just because you've heard about it, and so you're going to slap it into your agenda and check the box, I think that's not going to work. If it comes if it comes from, I am trying to create a humane, ethical, and resilient organization. What does that look like? How do I feel about that? Then I think that makes a big difference. On the other hand, and, and it's a one of these yes and yes and moments. Individual uh, well-being is something that um, that people themselves can be can also be responsible for. Yeah. In yeah. addition to the the systemic uh, arrangements that are being made, the systemic culture, uh, individuals also need to have agency and they need to have. Self, what I call self-responsibility. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you can't just do an all-night watching Netflix and, and then turn up to work and think it's your work's responsibility for you not to be feeling refreshed. <laughs> that is that is for sure. Uh, I, I love that. And I think there is a lot of that ticking the boxes. It's because we've got XYZ available, therefore we are an organisation that supports and values our our, our employees' health. And and that's that's not it. It's, it's, it's one, did they actually, yeah, did they want... Is that what the organisation want? Did that was there an opportunity to contribute to um, ways? You know, did they did how many people play table tennis on the table tennis table? For example, was that one of their priorities? Uh, you know, um, has the staff been consulted on that? Is probably what I'm what I'm going for. All right. Mm -hmm. So when you um, when you're going through all these times, you'll find you'll have found a lot of times in your your career development and those that you now work with, self-talk and mindset significantly affect all of your emotions, your behaviors, your life trajectory. All right. So how has that realization shaped your approach to navigating challenges? And then are there any little tips that you then now are aware of this so you help others that you work with? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so it is May 18th, 2020. I am graduating from the University of Pennsylvania with my Master of Applied Positive Psychology program. I'm fully decked out in my cap and gown, all of my regalia in my living room. Because if you remember, May of 2020 was during COVID. I live in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, and of course, you being Australia, you know, you know, you know about more than I do about lockdowns. Mm -hmm. And so I had decorated my living room with balloons and with banners. And they, oh. the, the school did a fabulous job turning graduation into an, a wonderful online event. And it was truly a joyful joy. A, a, it was an overtly joyful celebratory occasion. And I was holding on to a secret. I had not yet begun telling any of my family or friends that my husband of 34 years was ending our marriage at that same time <clears throat> as graduating. And once the dust settled, you know, later in the summer, the dust kind of settling down, I found myself saying, now I'm damaged goods. Now I'm damaged goods. Well, suddenly one day I kind of woke up. I said, wait a minute. You know, a lot of 
women whose marriages have ended, you don't view them as damaged goods. Why are you viewing yourself as damaged goods? Mm. And I said, I am going to take every inch of what I learned in my program and I'm going to use it on myself. Mm. Well, January 2020, January 28th, 2020, I'll be specific. I'm turning 65. I'm at a women's retreat, a big circle of my soul sisters. And I said, I can't remember the context in which this came up. I said, you know what? I'm freaking awesome. And if someone can't see that, they can just get off on the next corner. Well, how did I go from I'm damaged goods to I'm freaking awesome? Yeah. Because of self-talk, because of real-time resilience, signature strength, um, handling my emotions with grace, um, the science of behavior change. So I took all of that and decided other women in my demographic could use that. And I created a well-being workshop for women whose long-term marriages have ended. And it's a half-day workshop. I'm doing another one coming up on uh, Saturday, December 9th uh, in the morning here in Los Angeles. This will be over Zoom, so you can attend from wherever. And, um, and I, I, everything that I teach is science-backed and evidence-based, you know, coming from what I learned at Penn and a lot, a lot of other places. And I know that it works because I use it on myself. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I absolutely love, love, love that. Um, and I'm picturing for our listeners, here's a, here's a scenario that I'd love for you to think about. All right, so you've got a $100 bill in front of you. That $100 bill, if someone else has used it, scrumpled it, trodden on it, partially ripped it, you know, abused it, it's still a $100 bill. It's still it's still got its same value, whether it's looking crisp, whether it's looking tatty, it's still of the same value. It's for your your view. So if you're thinking about yourself, you're like you have the same value. It doesn't matter. It's someone else's loss now that he hasn't appreciated you. And when you come out that other side, that's right, you're suddenly realising not only are you not feeling the tattered version or a lesser, you've actually on that journey went, you know what, I, I have that same value that I was born with. And now the best factor is that you appreciate that value because now that $100 bill version of yourself is like, oh, my gosh, what can I actually, if I start valuing this, how far can it go? I can invest it. I can do different things with it. It's, uh, you know, it's a very practical Annie left field way of, of <laughs> for our listeners thinking, yeah, that's true. It doesn't matter how someone else values that. It's how you value yourself and then are going to be able to apply that. So well done you. You are going to be bringing so much value to those women um, in your workshop, uh, Robin. I have no <clears throat> doubt about that. You mentioned before that you um, have uh, faith is a big part of your life and service. So how does your belief that God has your back? You know, God, you know, has brought you on your on this planet for a reason. He's there supporting you. How does that influence your decisions and your actions and the way you balance now your access service? And even if some things are little, they're important to you. How does that affect your day to day? It has an absolutely profound impact. Um, uh, my life has had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of, lot of ups and downs. And uh, while going through a particular down some years ago, I, um, I kind of stepped back 
and realized, you know, at every juncture, even though there are ups and downs, at every juncture, things just kind of worked out, you know, maybe differently than what I had thought, um, maybe differently than what I was hoping for, but had, had worked out. Mm-hmm. And, and this quiet calm kind of came over me. And I realized that at every juncture, you know, God had had my back. And because of that, I could just relax. You know, I still need to be responsible. I still need to take positive action. I still need to do, you know, what, I, what, what is in front of me. But I could have a more calm view that, um, that I didn't have this anxiety. I used to have a lot of anxiety or maybe not a lot of anxiety. I used, what I used to have was what I called a low-grade anxiety, kind of like having a low-grade fever, fever. You're not really sick enough to, you know, to stay in bed, but just kind of slow. So I had this kind of low-grade anxiety. And, and what I found is that it's just gone. And, and what, I, what I came to realize is that having more than just a minute or two of panic, fear, anxiety uh, is really an insult to God. Because mm. I, I have seen, a, a, as they say, a cloud of witnesses that, that my life is, is going to be okay. You know, it might be different than what I might have thought I wanted, but I'm going to be okay. And because of that, I can move through life with, like I say, without all this anxiety and panic and fear. And then my mind and my soul is opened up to be creative, to think of different things. And to your, the last part of your question is to be able to be of service to other people. The absolute best, and there's all kinds of science now in the, in the positive uh, psychology field, actual hard data that one of the best ways to feel better when you're feeling down in the dumps is to be of service to someone else. Mm. And it can be as simple as looking at the grocery clerk in the eye and saying, thank you, how was your day? When you, I keep a, I keep a bottle, I keep a box of uh, water bottles and granola bars in the back of my car. So when I come up to a stoplight and there's a homeless person, I can hand them a bottle of water and granola bar. Well, do I also look them in the eye when I'm handing them that bottle of water? Do I also look them in the eye and try to make a human connection with them? Mm. Even just for a microsecond, make a human connection with them. And that is, a, you know, that is an act of service. Mm. So yeah, those are kind of, the, kind of some of the little things that yeah, you have your big acts of service. And then, you know, like when you cleaning the church. <laughs> And then you have a small act, act of service by looking a homeless person in the eye when you, you give them a granola bar. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, For me, it's, it's gratitude and kindness, right? It's being grateful, even if you're at the bottom of the well at this time. You know, and we all have stages of our life going, oh, my gosh, like I don't even know where to go. That's right. Sometimes it's not about the steps that you can take. It's just to flip it around and just have gratitude for what you do have uh, and kindness to other people. And that's right. By suddenly, you know, um, focusing that way, then yourself will then start sort of being getting into a capacity that you're able to sort of reflect and go, okay, well, there are there's one thing I can do. There's two things I can do. I can I start going on this path. So I love that you have shared that with us. Now you've also got as you mentioned before you've got a workshop coming up and your website for everyone listening in not watching on youtube or linkedin live is robinlearningsystems.com i'll put that in our show notes as well 
How do people get involved with this, Robin? What can you share? Do you have a special little offer for them today? Absolutely. I actually have two things. If you go to my website, robinlearningsystems.com and go to the blog section, right at the top is a free download of three tips for beating the holiday blues. Especially mm. if you're facing the holidays without a significant other, you can download a, um, a little chart, a little document that I made, uh, three tips for beating the, beating the um, holiday blues. And number two, uh, for everyone who registers for my workshop on Saturday, you get to bring a friend for free because I believe that happiness is a team sport. There is yep. power in number. And especially come to, coming to a workshop like this can be a little bit tender. And uh, even if your marriage ended many, many years ago, um, it can still be a little bit tender. So if everyone who registers can bring a friend for free. And because I am just feel so honored to be on this a podcast with you, Annie, I am offering three people a free registration. So mm -hmm. any of your listening audience <clears throat> who would like to attend my workshop, email me at robin at robinlearningsystems.com and just say, you know, Annie's uh, podcast, <laughs> I want to come and I will send you a link where you can come for free. And so I will look for uh, the first three people who email me I am happy to do that as a, as a, a gift to your guests, uh, as a thank you for allowing me to come on this podcast. Oh, what a great offer. Um, jump onto that, everybody. Three of you. Oh, my goodness. How many people approach Christmas this sort of see, this holiday season and go, oh, my gosh, I used to have significant other things happening. I'm just at this place of, oh, I just don't feel comfortable. It can be traumatic, can be overwhelming. This could be exactly the right thing that you want to dive into. Is it online? Is it a physical location? It is. It's over Zoom. That way anyone in the world can come. Right. And we are going to be mastering real-time resilience. We're going to be looking at the neuroscience of hope and using it to create wellsprings of abundance. We'll be looking at our signature strengths. We'll be learning how to handle our emotions with grace. And we'll be learning about uh, the science of behavior change. And so this is a, a highly interactive, yeah. uh, highly intense, uh, a, a nice, nicely intense, <laughs> but highly interactive and half day workshop, which will be Saturday morning, December 9th from eight o'clock till noon Pacific time. And, yeah. um, and so I'm, uh, and, and uh, again, I, I say, I know that what I teach works because I've used it on myself. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. All right. Well, everyone jump on, on to that opportunity for the three opportunities for a free, definitely even to come and have a, have a guest come with you. I mean, that's just, that's just security in numbers in, in itself. I love going to things with other people, even when you're at that most confident stage of your life, you know, it's still just nice when you walk in with a friend or you, you've just got that support, even just to talk through things that, um, uh, that you learn, that you mentioned. It's so wonderful to have that opportunity to grow together. Uh, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. I can't believe how our time has flown. Uh, yeah, you've just been a great guest and I wish you all the best at your workshop and look forward Thank to hearing so about how, how others uh, have found it moving forward. It's been a joy to be here and, and I don't want to end without giving a shout out to you that you mm -hmm. won six awards on this <laughs> conference that you went. You're on the stage with IBM and Salesforce <laughs> 
and you come <laughs> walking off with six awards. It is just, I, I'm doing a huge shout out to you. And so when I say it is a privilege to be on your podcast, it's not just, you know, nice words. It truly is. And you are uh, an amazing uh, role model for so many women around the world and what you've done. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. I really appreciate that. I'll give a little wrap. They were the Stevie International Women in Business Awards. I got to go over to New York City uh, in Times Square. It was a very big moment for me. And um, I was super excited to pick up the grand, one of the grand Stevie Awards and six other awards as well. I was, I'm still pinching myself. It was just so exciting, so amazing. And I appreciate that recognition today. Thank you so much, Robin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Women's Biz Podcast. I'm Annie Gibbons, founder and CEO of Women's Biz Global. And if you would like to fast track your future success, pop on over to womensbizglobal.com where you can find out how our coaching, media and publishing opportunities are helping women just like you to become and be seen as the trusted authorities in their niche. Inquire today and start reining in the abundance you desire.